Now the boy, the Na'ar, of Samuel continues serving Yahweh under Eli's supervision. The word from Yahweh was rare in those days, and revelatory visions were infrequent. So we go back to the boy who's serving before God, unlike Eli and his sons. But there's a very important thing here. Revelatory visions are rare, and they don't happen very often in Israel. A dream is where God speaks to you through a dream. You're asleep, and you see and you hear things, and it's usually a cryptic message that when you wake up, the meaning of the dream becomes totally obvious. So if you have no idea what your dreams mean, God's not speaking to you through them. God's job is that if he gives you a dream, it's his job to interpret it. And Joseph has made that very clear, and later um, Daniel's going to make that clear. And if you don't get any interpretation, then it's just the goat cheese you had last night. But a vision is different. A vision is when you're awake, and you see and you hear things right before you. And visions are seen as more solid because usually in dreams it's cryptic, like cows coming out of the water and eating other cows or that kind of stuff. Or barley loaves coming down and smashing tents with Gideon. But with visions, God usually literally speaks to you directly. Or you see something that God is literally doing. And so they tend to be far more clear and far more obvious that they're from God because you're wide awake and yet all this stuff is happening before you. He's saying that God hardly speaks that way. And the point is because Israel has been so disobedient for so long, God has kind of made his visions go silent. Now that's important to understand that this passage, this episode begins that way. Now Eli's eyes had begun to fail so that he was unable to see well. So now we're being told that his physical blindness is now matching his spiritual blindness. And the lamp of God had not yet been extinguished. Now the lamp of God is the tabernacle, the seven branches of the candlestand. There's an intentional thing here because the eyes are often referred to as the lamps of the human. And so as his lamps are going dim, God's lamp is not extinguished. And that's a very important point that is being made here. Samuel was lying down in the temple of Yahweh as well. Now the word temple here doesn't mean a literal physical building. The word temple can mean house. And it can be a tent house or a stone house. And it's most likely the tabernacle here. There's nothing anywhere in the Bible that even suggests that a temple's already been built. In fact, when we get to 2 Kings chapter 8 and the temple is actually built, the implication is when Solomon gives his speech over the temple, he kind of makes it clear that this is the first temple, that Israel has never had a temple until this day. So this word temple can also be translated house, a holy house. Now, most likely, it might be the tent of the tabernacle that now no longer has a fabric linen courtyard around it, but maybe more of a wooden or stone courtyard around it. And so the tabernacle has become more stationary. And because it's become more stationary, they're starting to call it a temple rather than a tabernacle now. So he was lying in the temple of Yahweh as well, and the ark of God was there. Yahweh called to Samuel, and he replied, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. And Yahweh again called Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, my son. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, because the word of Yahweh had not yet been revealed to him. 
So this is his first experience with God speaking to him. Then Yahweh called Samuel a third time, so he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli then realized it was Yahweh who was calling the boy. Here's right here, just makes it so clear, Eli's a ding-dong. Now notice that it says that Eli seems to be sleeping in a room off of the tabernacle, where Samuel's sleeping in the tabernacle close to the Ark of the Covenant. And so all the implications here are showing you that Samuel's closer to God than Eli is. And Eli is so disconnected from God that this boy keeps coming to him over and over and over again. And he keeps saying, I keep hearing voices. And it never occurs to Eli once if we're in the house of God and it's only the two of us and he's hearing somebody talking to him, it must be God. But that never occurs to him. Why? Because God has never spoken to Eli through revelatory visions or the word. And he's completely blind and disconnected. Remember, he thought Hannah was drunk. Remember, we talked about this. Like, if you see somebody sitting in the pew of the sanctuary and their mouths are moving, but there's no words coming out, every logical person would think they're praying. But Eli immediately assumes they're drunk. So this guy is just completely detached from everything that's happening. He just is in his own little world. And so finally it dawns upon him that it must be Yahweh speaking to him. So Eli said to Samuel, go back and lie down. And when he calls to you, say, speak, Yahweh, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back and lay down in the place. That's probably the most intelligent, wisest thing that he said on his own. The other ones seemed to be God working through him. Then Yahweh came and stood nearby, calling. Now that's the, the, the imagery of standing nearby means that God is not just a voice now, but that God's presence is very close and physical to Samuel as well. And Samuel replied, Speak, for your servant is listening. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Look, I am about to do something in Israel. When anyone hears about it, both of his ears will tingle. It's not usually the word that we use. The word tingling means that it's going to tickle your ear. And meaning that the news is going to be so awesome that you're going to want to hear more of it and you're going to want to tell everybody else what's happening. So it's something really amazing that's going to perk your ears up and make you want to listen more. Like, what did you just say? What happened to them? On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything that I spoke about, his house, from start to finish. You should tell him that I'm about, going, about to judge his house forever because of the sin that he knew about. For his sons were cursing God, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I swore an oath to the house of Eli. The sin of the house of Eli can never be forgiven by the sacrifice or the grain offering. God actually reveals more to Samuel than to Eli. To Eli, through the man of God, he reveals, I'm going to judge you. And to prove it, both your sons are going to die on the same day. But now God is telling Samuel the same thing, but he's adding, I'm also going to do something really amazing in Israel. It's going to make everybody talk. And the implication is like in the days of the Red Sea crossing. But then he goes on and says, make sure that Eli knows that this is about ready to happen soon. Then notice that God says, I swore in an oath by my own name that I'm going to do this. That word oath is the same word used of God making an oath to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. And so God's faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham is the same faithfulness to his judgment on Eli's house. And we talked about that last week. We often like God's faithfulness to his promises, but we don't really like his faithfulness to his judgments either. God's saying, I am a faithful God. And we have to understand when we praise God for his faithfulness, 
We need to understand in our mind that He is faithful in all things. Blessings and judgments. That is Yahweh. He is consistent. So Samuel laid down until morning, and then he opened the doors of Yahweh's house. But Samuel was afraid to tell Eli about the vision. However, Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, Naar, he replied, here I am. Eli said, what message did you speak to you? Don't conceal it from me. God will judge you severely if you conceal from me anything that he said to you. So Samuel told him everything, and he did not hold back anything from Eli. And Yahweh will do, Eli said, Yahweh will do what he pleases. The one good thing about Eli is he's at least accepted the judgment of God. He's not trying to fight against it. He's not cursing God in any kind of way. He has come to realize that it is what it is. Who can stop Yahweh? Samuel continued to grow, and Yahweh was with him. None of his prophecies fell to the ground unfulfilled. All of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, realized that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of Yahweh. Then Yahweh again appeared in Shiloh, for it was in Shiloh that Yahweh had revealed himself to Samuel through the word of Yahweh. Samuel revealed the word of Yahweh to all of Israel. Notice how this episode began. In those days, God speaking to the people through visions was rare, and the word of God was rare. Now that Samuel's had his encounter with God, Samuel is the one opening the door to the sanctuary. It is not Eli opening the doors anymore. It is Samuel. And he's opening it to the people. And when he goes out to the people, it says that all the people begin to recognize him as a prophet. All the people saw that everything that Samuel said came true. And God spoke through Samuel a whole bunch so that every word was fulfilled and revealed through Samuel. And so the point is that Samuel has brought a change to Israel. That Samuel in this one night experience has taken Israel through 300 years of very rare words of God. And now the word of God is very common, very prevalent through Samuel, always faithful through Samuel, and the doors of the sanctuary open. And the idea is that the corruption is now done. The corruption's over with. And Samuel's regulating it. One man is changing Israel drastically. One man is increasing the word of God. It doesn't take an army of people to change a culture. It only takes one faithful person who's willing to be used by God. Now, what's interesting is that now he's no longer called an Na'ar. Now that he's actually had a face-to-face experience, his age last night and this morning are the same. The only thing that's changed is his encounter with God. But now he has grown, and he's growing with Yahweh, and he's no longer an Na'ar. He's now a man, and he's a prophet. Now, here's what's interesting. Samuel is a Levitical priest, but now he's also a prophet. And this is the beginning of his prophetic ministry. And later we're going to find out is this is the beginning of the office of prophet, the prophetic guild. So now Israel has a prophet instead of a judge, instead of a priest that's going to lead them. And where normally you see a prophet who would come in and say something and then leave, you never really have ever seen any prophet lead Israel except for Moses. No prophet has led. They've come in and pronounced words, but they don't lead. And so since the days of Moses, this is the first prophet that we have seen leading Israel. 
actually leading Israel. And then later we're going to find out that also makes Samuel a judge. He's a judge. So Samuel is going to be the last of the judges and the first of the prophets and an official role in Israel. We now have thoroughly seen the wickedness of Eli's house and the faithfulness of Samuel. And we now seen that with Eli's judgment, the man of God pronouncing this, it's now going to come to an end. The wickedness. And now with Samuel, the faithfulness and the word of God and the redemption and more importantly, revival is going to begin to happen. <laughs> 